32 teams, seven rounds, 224 young men who today are about to become players in the National Football League. A day where lives are changed, fates are decided, dynasties are born, and the clock is always ticking. Of course, I'm talking about draft day. Hello and welcome to episode 250 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. Hi, I'm uh, Manny Manuel. Five years into this thing, we are a quarter of the way to a thousand. So 15 more years <laughs> we have to plan for our thousandth episode. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Quarter of a thousand, not bad. It's pretty impressive. Doing pretty good. Pretty good. And what a movie we're choosing to celebrate. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Uh, I will add, happy draft day to all of the football fans happy in the house. Happy draft day. To all none of you that are listening to this. Uh, yeah. Very happy draft day to you. Kind of the unofficial official start of the football season. Okay, sure. I hope that you're having a great time. I hope your and team does well. I hope your team does better than some of the teams <laughs> i hope your team has a better day than some of the teams have in uh, in this movie but i'm getting ahead of myself here uh, i'm not talking about draft day just yet uh, a couple things to get out of the way first yeah uh we're i guess we'll we'll get right into uh, what we've been watching i'm gonna start yeah. question mark haven't actually been watching that much this week had me a busy week yep. a lot of music uh, a lot of watching TV, and I just told Manny before we got on air, the World Chess Championships are on, and the nerd, the chess nerd in me had to watch a couple of games of that. Fair. Uh, but what I have been watching is uh, the final season, what they've said is the final season, of uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel just oh, came out. yes. So I've just been catching up on that, and uh, I've said it before on air, and I'll say it again. What a delightfully written show. It is exceptionally funny, loosely based off of the life of the late Joan Rivers. Um, when That's it was, what it was based off of? It was based off of the life of Joan Rivers, That's yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, I guess in the in the early 1950s, they didn't know that women could be funny yet, so <laughs> a large portion of the show is just kind of... Uh, wow. her walking into bars and just being like you're a comic but you're a woman <laughs> but it's a lot funnier than that um yeah it's it's a really exceptionally funny show and really smartly written um rachel brosnahan as midge Maisel is a delight and my uh my personal favorite character is played by alex borstein who i already knew as the voice of lois and family guy mm -hmm. uh she plays uh mrs Maisel's manager Susie, and is just fucking sharp as attack and absolutely hilarious so um i've recommended it to people on air before i'm going to recommend it again marvelous mrs Maisel uh on netflix or on uh, amazon prime excuse me currently in its final season they released the first three episodes already i think they're kind of doing like three three and four or something to that effect i'm uh, not sure exactly how they're doing it but i'm gonna be very sad when the show's uh ended because i've enjoyed watching it over the last year or so um, Manny, I know that I've I've half-heartedly recommended this show to you, and I say half-heartedly not because the show isn't deserving of a wholehearted recommendation, but more so because the recommendation of a TV show is a commitment. It's a whole thing. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot more serious than the recommendation of a movie because it's a lot more of a commitment isn't of it, time. Isn't it funny that I, I honestly I think you and I feel that way? But everyone else I talk to is more than happy 
to recommend shows to me. I get recommended. I think I get recommended more TV shows than I do movies. I do. Which and is they're... funny because it, it feels like it should be the opposite. Yes. It could also be that people know that we watch a lot of movies. People know that if they, if they want to recommend us a movie, there's a good chance we'll have already seen it. But at the mm, same time... You know, what, you know what? Honestly, I've actually never thought of that. At the same time, though, if you've seen a movie and you want to... Uh, and you want to recommend it when you bring it up in conversation anyway i don't know i guess i guess it is probably a little bit of that that when somebody says to you hey have you seen i don't know seven <laughs> your answer is yeah fuck yeah that movie's so good so they're obviously not going to recommend it to you but when somebody says have you seen just pulling an example out of my ass here bojack horseman <laughs> and your answer is no the reaction is to go oh that's that's a really good show you should definitely check that out I wonder when the last time somebody has recommended a movie to me that wasn't new for its current year. Mm. Like as an example, like as a great example is Jordan is the one that got me on Good Luck Good Luck to You Leo Grand, yes. which ended up being my number 6 or 7 of the year. You and I both had that pretty high yeah. highly placed. Fucking fantastic. I think film. you watched it because of her and then I saw you both loved it so I watched it because of you too. Yeah. But that was a recommendation of a current year film. I'm trying to remember Actually, I fucking Charles recommends shit all the time to me, and I'm like, not fucking happening anymore, dude. You are cut off from recommendations. Yeah, he doesn't know that he's cut off though, or he doesn't believe that he's cut off. No, he doesn't know he's cut off. He and, and he knows like when he talk when we talk on the phone, and he's like, "Have you seen this?" I'm like, "No." He's like, "You should fucking watch it." I'm like, "Mm-hmm." Just like Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, you recommend to me. Just like fucking Dark City. Just like all the other shitty fucking movies he recommends to me. What's that one he did? There was one he recommended that was visually stunning, but not that great of a movie. Oh fuck, it's gonna bug me. I can see everything about it. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be able to pull it on my ass. But the movie was a really cool concept of a film and visually stunning just didn't fully connect with me hmm. but he loved it fuck you charts fuck your recommendations are so fucking brutal god i love that man and hate him at the same time um but yeah uh, i've heard nothing but great things about the marvelous mrs Maisel. yeah and uh yeah i'm glad you're and, and you fit you finished it sorry uh, i am uh, i just started season five which is the final season okay and okay, i'm cool. i mean uh, the way that they've begun to structure the fifth season, I don't think this is particularly spoilery. It's based off the life of Joan Rivers, and she becomes famous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, at the end of season four, she's really on the upswing. She's gotten a few big opportunities. Some have gone her way, some haven't. Um, some have fallen through. She's taken some others. But they've begun doing a bit of like a flash-forward structure mm -hmm. in season five so um one of the like even though we're still mostly just in the 60s as she's on the upswing there's a few flash forwards to um like there, there's a flash forward to a 60 minutes piece in the 80s of how mrs mazel became famous and it's kind of a cool uh a cool structure that they're that they're playing cool. with um so i'm intrigued to see how that's going to play out but uh yeah that is that's about all that i've been watching manny so i'd be curious okay. to know what you got I've actually been watching a lot, but I'm only picking two movies to talk about. Um, I will just mention this quickly. I have, as you might be aware, but our listeners obviously haven't unless they follow me on Letterboxd, uh, I've started my Mission Impossible rewatch. Um, you and I have bandied about doing a mini-series on the Mission Impossible films. 
And every time I get to basically the last three, when I get to Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout, I'm like, yeah, we got to fucking do a fucking rewatch. But then I'm also like, ah, it's six weeks of just Mission Impossible movies. And I wonder, I just wonder if it would get boring. Well, I'm not sure because the movies are so good. Well, the majority of them are good. Well, tell you what. I mean, we've talked about uh, how we're going to need an annual series to take over from Star Wars once we're done watching all of those movies. Mm. I know we've said Aliens or Alien. Yeah, because um, Alien Day is this Wednesday. Mm. Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday. So you just declare a Mission Impossible Day. Mm. and. Uh, well, we'll no, what we, what we decided with Mission Impossible is that you you and I are going to probably review the first one soon and then we'll review them as the as the as, years come, as, back, years as, come we, yeah. as it come along. Yeah. Anyways, so that but that's not what I want to talk about. The first movie I want to talk about is because last Saturday was a very 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 special day. April 15th mm. is the anniversary of my hero's breaking of the color barrier in MLB baseball. So I watched again the movie 42. Uh, 42. In 1947, Jackie Robinson becomes the first African-American to play Major League Baseball in the modern era when he was signed by the Brooklyn Dodgers and faces considerable racism racism in the process. You and I uh, did review this film back in, I think, 2020. A long remember, time ago. Long, if long I remember time ago. correctly, am I right? Looks like I'm wrong. I don't see it. 2019? Was it that far? It was. So, oh, Jesus. Episode 52 was our review of 42. Hmm. Um, Chavik Bozeman, Harrison Ford, Alan Tudyk in a jaw-dropping performance. Wow. Um, I still love this movie. Uh, I did give it a four. I think you gave it a three. I did, yeah. yeah. Um, most likely uh, – no. Prob- I, it's, a, it's a four because of my affinity for Jackie Robinson. It's – has a few scenes that really work, especially that aforementioned Alan Tudyk scene. It is really difficult to watch. Um, also watching this, it really just really makes me miss Chadwick, uh, as well as the movie that we're reviewing uh, on the main review. He is so gifted. It is so sad that we lost such an incredible talent. Um, he's really good uh, as Jackie Robinson. Not good enough for any type of award recognition, really. Uh, Harrison Ford is fine. Um, Alan Tudyk, possibly like one of those very small role supporting actor nominations, because he is oh, wickedly horrible. Um, but he really, I think he really only has like two scenes, maybe three. Uh, but I, ha- I had a great time. I, I pretty much will be making this an annual tradition. Uh, I was a little busy on that Saturday. Because um, I, I would have preferred to have actually watched the four, four hour, four hour Jackie Robinson documentary I have. Would have been nice. Uh, so I might actually pop that in probably pretty soon. Uh, but 42, uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's a recommend for me. 
uh, I give it a four to five. Sam gave it a three. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a minute since the last watch. Uh, as you said, back in two thousand and nineteen, so it has been a minute. But um, I remember that what I liked about it was uh, Chadwick Boseman and Alan Tudyk's performances. Uh, I can't remember exactly what I disliked about it, uh, if anything at all. Um, I, I really, I really couldn't even say right now. It might be time for a revisit, but I just remember really liking uh, those two performances. And um, you know, while I kind of knew the story of Jackie Robinson, um, I didn't know it as deeply as you did. So it was eye-opening to to take a look at mm-hmm. what exactly it was that he that he went through. Yeah, and I'm sure he went through a lot more than even what's. Of course, in the film. <laughs> of course, but, you know you got to draw the line somewhere as far as what makes it in. Yeah. Uh, the other movie I want to talk about is I've kind of pumped the brakes on my 1990 rewatch because I was flying through it, and we're still about three or four weeks away from even starting that miniseries, which looks to be about another twelve or thirteen parter that we're doing. So we'll be doing 1990 until when would that be roughly august or september august september roughly off the top of my head so i was like okay well i need to start watching movies from other years but i'm trying to stay away from late 90s because you and i have decided we're going to revisit those years uh so i went into the 80s and i watched a movie that i kind of touched on last week uh, because I watched a movie with the lead actress from this movie. I watched a movie with the lead actress from this movie. She was in one I watched last week. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? I think, that I think. sounded wrong. Huh. Anyways, the movie I watched was Working Girl uh, from 1988. Right. Uh, starring Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, and Sigourney Weaver. When a secretary's idea is stolen by her boss, she seizes an opportunity to steal it back by pretending she has her boss's job. This movie garnered six Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Director, and what am I missing? Oh, another Supporting Actress for Joan Cusack, and then it won for Best Song, um, called Let the River Run from Carly Simon, um, which, if you watch that movie, I hope you like it, because it plays often and is incorporated into the score. Uh, it is a it's a movie I it's sorry not a movie. It's a song I do like because I grew up with it. It's obviously famous from this movie. So it's a very a very 80s song without it being the I don't the the synth that you're thinking of the '80s, yeah. but if you heard the song, you'd be like, "Yeah, that song's from the '80s," but not in a bad way. It's just an easily recognizable song from that decade in regards to the way it's sung and the way it's arranged and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, the song itself is decent enough, but it carries nostalgia with me. To the movie itself, we talked about it last week because what what movie did I watch with Melanie Griffith in it? We talk about I can week? I can find it for you if you want. I'll have it. Uh, let's see. Pacific Heights. Mm. Yep, Pacific Heights. And I talked about how, well, you and I both talked about how bad she was in Shining, Shining Through. Through. And then I blew your mind by saying she garnered an Oscar nomination for this movie. 
um, worthy. She's really good in it. Okay. Um, Harrison Ford just reminds you why he was so incredibly handsome and sexy and charming. He plays this executive perfectly. Like he's he just wins you over with his Harrison Fordness. Sigourney Weaver as the kind of evil boss. Pure delight. The one thing, the one thing, I, if Sam, if you ever decide to watch this movie, which you probably won't, but if you ever do, I'm going to ask the biggest favor. Can you put a selfie video on your face for like the first, because I need to capture the look on your face when you see their hair for the first time. <laughs> I I regret to inform you, uh, I pulled this up on IMDb and the trailer began to autoplay. Oh, perfect. So I saw Joan Cusack. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, that's some hair. Yeah, that's that's some perfectly 80s hair. Yeah. Um, this movie's really, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I wrote in my review that uh, every once in a while, the Academy... Academy surprises us with what they do in a good way. This is basically a romantic comedy, and it got nominated for Best Picture. And it's a really fun, enjoyable movie. All three leads, well, the three leads with Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver, Joan Cusack's not in it very much. But I love that she got a supporting actress nomination out of a small comedic role. But Sigourney Weaver... I know that you've started watching a few more of her movies as I've introduced them to you. I think you would love her in this. Mm. She is not. She is nothing like Dave. Okay. <laughs> like she, she is evil, but not in the like Cruella Deville or like um, uh, the Devil Wears Prada yeah, okay. kind of boss. Not like that. She's just conniving. In uh, in Dave uh, at the beginning at least she does uh, she. Uh, goes cold you know she does she does cold really well in the beginning of that film very close to this yeah okay um but like i said melanie griffith uh i don't know who she i don't know who she lost to that year um probably somebody worthy but she's she is really good in this in this movie i completely understand the nomination i had a really great time with this movie this is one of those this is one of those comedies where, you know, she almost gets caught a few times. She has to, you know, avoid the people that know about her while she's pretending to be somebody else. It's that kind of movie. It's just a little elevated. You can see why when you watch this movie, why it was a huge hit and why it garnered the critical praise that it did. This movie is absolutely delightful to watch. Um, if anybody wants to watch something that is really fun, light, and might make you laugh a few times. We're not talking like knee-slapping comedy, like wiping tears from your eyes as for myself personally, like like book smart. Mm. But a movie where you're smiling, you're like, oh, that's awesome. And then you're like, ooh, don't get caught. <laughs> I had a great time with Working Girl. Easy four out of five for me. Jodie Foster, The Accused. Oh, shit. Melanie yeah. Griffith lost not to Jodie Foster. <laughs> not a fucking chance. Uh... <laughs> Wow. The mm. Accused is not a movie I recommend anybody watch. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> also, speaking of uh, 
uh, Devil Wears Prada, uh, Meryl, nominated for Crying in the Dark as well. I haven't seen that, but that is another movie that you probably will not want to watch. Okay. Do you know what that's about? No, not really. It is the true story of a woman uh, in Australia whose baby gets... <gasps> is, take, that, is that the dingo, dingo ate your baby? Yep. Oh, okay. But yeah, she yeah. get obviously... You know, that's the dog ate my homework. Yeah. She gets I she gets uh charged with murder. Right. Or like yeah. So she has to somehow prove that she, that a dingo ate her baby. Yeah. Please, I'm good. No need to watch that. Yeah. Apparently it's been retitled Evil Angels, not a cry in the dark. Interesting. But, yeah. Anyway. Um but yeah, one hundred percent a recommend uh for Working Girl. Yeah, uh, I just I actually just added that to my watch list. That's a pretty good review you just yeah, gave it. It was an absolute it is a it's a perfect put a movie on at night and just sit back, relax, and enjoy a film. All right, that's what we've been watching. Uh, let's get into the movie we are here to review to celebrate the NFL draft, and that is Draft Day. Uh, released April 11th, 2014, directed by Ivan Reitman. Written by Scott Rothman and Rajiv Joseph. Starring Kevin Costner, Jennifer Garner, and Chadwick Boseman. It's a Metascore of 54. A letterbox score of three. It's pretty good. Uh, no Oscar wins. No Oscar nominations. No Razzie noms. But I did notice it had one nomination for an award. And I was like, interesting. So I, just, I, ch- I clicked on it, and this is what it was nominated for. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to dive into this, and I thought you'd appreciate this. This was nominated by the Alliance of Women Film Journalists for nominee for most egregious age difference between the leading man (laughs) and the love interest. (laughs) That's good. Here are the nominees. Three nominees this year. From 2014? Yeah. Okay. The movie Magic in the Moonlight. Did not see it. Colin Firth, 54. And Emma Stone, 26. Ew, okay. <laughs> we have draft day is Kevin Costner at 59 and Jennifer Garner at 42. That doesn't feel like no. that is 17 years, but... But the older you get, the less 17 years actually yeah. is. And the final nominee is uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, Tom Cruise is 52 and Emily Blunt was 31. Funny, that actually never really occurred to me. It must be because Tom Cruise is ageless. Yes. Uh, the winner... Was Magic in the Moonlight. Colin Firth at 54 and Emma Stone yeah, at 26. Uh, but when I did see that, I'm like, Sam will like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got a hearty chuckle, so I'm very happy about that. Um, it had a budget of $25 million and grossed $28 million, uh, putting it at 95th in 2014. Uh, the plot. At the NFL Draft, general manager Sonny Weaver has the opportunity to rebuild his team when he trades for the number one pick. He must decide what he's willing to sacrifice on a life-changing day for a few hundred men with NFL dreams. Sam, you have not seen Draft Day. Correct. Which means we got to play a game that I don't know. I don't know if you enjoy it, but I will speak for me. I fucking love. I I enjoy it. Perfect. I do. Uh, the. <laughs> The origin of it is somewhat <laughs> embarrassing, I will say, and I try to keep, I try to uh, take all this in stride as I sometimes embarrass myself on these and get these way off. But you know, it's all in the name of fun. 
So it is. Yeah, I do enjoy doing. It's these. never. It's never meant in a uh, derogatory or mocking manner. Yeah, it's all meant to have fun. So, if you're unsure what we talk about, when Sam hasn't seen a movie we review, I ask him to guess the plot of the film, and then we play that clip back after he's seen it to see how close he's got. Here's what Sam had to say about Draft Day. Okay. The nice thing about us doing a movie that Sam's not seeing, we get to bring back a beloved little segment, and that's Sam guesses the plot. Mm-hmm. Now, it's obviously about Draft Day. It's the title Draft Day. So why don't you try and tell us what you think this movie is about? Okay, usually I go a little goofy in this section, but in all honesty, my real understanding of what I know about this movie is it's about the NFL draft. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Kevin Costner is the lead and he's playing a general manager okay. of some kind. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure the team that he's the general manager of is the Browns. Okay. I think. Other than that, okay, so what is what is the plot? What is he actually doing in the film? I think it is about, it's tr- at least trying to be about the behind-the-scenes transactions, the nitty-gritty stuff that goes into all the trades, all the exciting movement that happens around draft day, all the buzz. It's about the closed-door meetings, the drama, the, the lives of the players that are in flux. They don't know what city they're going to be living in for the next couple of years. Um, as far as, like, specifics... That you've you've alluded to me off air or even on air a couple of times that there's some deals that go down that are hilarious in this movie like that would never happen in real life so so I am expecting that as far as what those are I I really have no idea I I really couldn't say but that's kind of my understanding of what draft day is perfect I like that I'll I'll cut that out and we'll play it uh, as we do right before we get into the movie next week okay Um, Sammy boy. What's going on with your audio there? That's fucked up, eh? I think you might have been like facing away from the mic or something. I, I think so. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. Um, listen, <clears throat> it's a little bit biased to be my own judge. Yep. But I think I'm taking the point for that one. I, that was, I'm going to give it to you. That's pretty good. I'm going to give it to you. I mean, some of that was knowledge that I already had. Yep. Some of that was uh, was already acquired. But I don't know. I think, I think we got pretty good on there. Yeah. I think you did just fine. Cool. Just fine. Um, so... Now that we know what you thought before you saw it, why don't you tell us what you think of the movie after you saw it? Okay, so the trades are obviously ridiculous. That <laughs> that much is clear. So Manny and I have had conversations in the last couple of weeks, especially, about realism hmm. in film. About what role uh, should it play? How big of a role? How important is it to you? And I think this movie's uh, kind of a perfect film to come up in that discussion for us because i agree uh because the realism is not really there uh it's very much on the fantasy side of real life so i guess what i'm trying to say is this film is trying to be grounded in real life but gets a lot of the specifics kind of wrong or just ignores doesn't really care about the specifics of how things work and whether that matters to you is purely a stylistic preference for you if it matters to you that all the facts be right, and it matters to you that the things you see in this film are exactly how they do it in the NFL, and it matters to you that what happens in this movie is a direct reflection of everyday life as an NFL exec, you're probably going to hate it. Yep. It, this is, is not a reflection of real life. This is, uh, is very much a dramatized and simplified version 
of what actually happens yes. on draft day. Um, with that being said, do you care? Uh, me, personally, still struggling with that question. I think when it comes to the realism question, a lot of it, a lot of uh, what it comes down to as far as whether it bothers me is um, what kind of film is the movie trying to be? Is it leaning into it? Um, really, it comes down to, I guess, whether you, the audience, buy into this universe. And I, I, I'm still kind of torn as I'm sitting here talking to you. I'm torn as to whether it really bothers me or how much. I guess the short answer is a bit. Shrug. Yep. <laughs> a bit, but nothing nothing too crazy. Like, I, I wasn't sitting here seething, like, oh, that would never happen. They would never do this trade. There's a couple eye roll moments. Like, okay, obviously that's a little ridiculous and that's a little dramatized. But I think the reason why I can't give it a full pass... The reason why I can't give it a full pass on... Um, suspension of disbelief is because it is attempting to be grounded in the real world. Mm -hmm. These are allegedly real executives. Obviously, these are all these are mostly fictional people that we're talking about here. Um, yeah, like ninety five percent. Yep, fictional. Like, yep. Um, and even um, a guy like uh, I can't remember his actual name, but I think the owner of the Browns is like a pretty um, Frank Langella. No, uh, like the owner of the Browns, like in real life. Oh, sorry. Um, the, sorry. Own, the owner of the Browns is a guy that people would recognize. I personally don't know his name, but like okay. the owners of the NFL teams, like uh, like Robert Kraft is just one that comes to mind. Um, we don't see the owner of the Patriots in this film, but if it was anyone other than Robert Kraft, I mean, it, let's put it this way. If they had shown him, it would have been someone other than Robert Kraft. It yes. wouldn't have been the real person. Um, so there, this takes place in a version of of the NFL, but they're using all the real team logos. They're using real commentators, real NFL alumni. There's a number of real NFL alumni that are in the film yep. uh, in cameo roles. So I, I don't think I can give it a full pass on realism simply because it is attempting to have some basis in reality. Yep. Uh, but that, that is just one, one conversation surrounding, surrounding this film for, for the most part, the story is basic. It's easily digestible. It's heartwarming. It, it's just fun um it it does a good job of keeping up the tension at all times and it has a reasonably focused message i think which is that uh, you need to keep your composure under pressure that's that's basically what it's trying to say in order to be a success whether it's as an exec or in your own personal life or as a player composure under pressure is key and that's just a neat easily packageable message yep. that i'm totally fine having in my movie um whether you can get over the real life, uh, whether you can get over the lack of realism in the movie, totally on you as an audience member. I myself am on the fence a little bit right now, but uh, I had a perfectly reasonable time with draft day with a couple of eye rolls. Okay. That's, that's that. Um, I forgot to mention this, so I'll say it here now. Um, I gave a prediction. Duncan and I, uh, PFG Duncan. Yeah. Shout out Duncan. Um, <laughs> I gave you my prediction on what I think you are going to give this. I'm obviously not going to play my hand now, yep. but I will reveal it to you when you give your score. I'm just going to write myself a note so I don't forget. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, reveal my prediction. And I, of course, there's no stakes on it, so we're no. going on the honor system. Purely bragging rights. Yeah. Not we, even. We know each other well enough to know that we wouldn't lie yeah. or alter answers yeah, for it's, the sake of it's, this show. Yeah, it's no fun. <laughs> I, have, I have no problem being wrong. Um, 
so I'll get to that um, when we get there. Um, I agree. I think somebody's enjoyment of this film is whether or not they can allow their, – their enjoyment of this film will come down to if they are a hardcore football fan, I think they will hate this movie. I truly believe that they will hate this movie because the trades in this movie, especially in the big climactic scene, are really hard to accept happening. Like, really hard. The opening trade that starts the whole show is not an unbelievable one because it's happened before. Yep. So that's never bothered me. It's the cli- It's basically the climactic ending that's hard to accept. I would even go one further than that. Um, the trade that happens at the very beginning, uh, I almost felt the exact opposite, which is that it was so realistic. I was like, yeah, it's a, probably a reasonable price that when uh, we'll, we'll kind of get there, the, but people are not happy on the Browns team about the trade that they made. Like, you mortgaged our entire future. Like, the first trade that's made in this film is downright reasonable Yep. as far as the price. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Manny. I actually prepared this uh, a little bit earlier. Um, We're obviously doing this because the NFL draft is coming up. I think we have it set up so that this episode is going to be coming out the day of the NFL draft. The draft is on the Thursday? Or, yeah, the week of the NFL draft, anyway. The week of, yeah. The first overall pick was traded. This, this year. year? This year it was, yes. For, what did it get traded okay, for? Okay, so here's here's the price. So we had... Sorry, I just got to find it in my notes here. Um, so it was traded from the Bears to the Panthers. The Chicago Bears had the first overall pick. It's going to the Panthers. Okay. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah, I have that right. Um, here's the price. First overall pick for two firsts, two seconds, and a stud-wide receiver named DJ Moore. Hot damn. That's the price. So, and, and there's also historical basis. Like, this is this is not the first time the first overall has been picked. Um, the time that was referenced in this film a few years prior, also not the first time. But, like, that's kind of it's kind of the ballpark of where the price lives. And the price for the trade that happened in real life this year is arguably a higher price than what's paid in the film. So, so, honestly, what takes me... What's less realistic... Then the trade itself is the reactions to that trade where people are like, ah, the Browns got fleeced. Like, no, that's just kind of the price. Yeah. <laughs> Even though, you know, sports fans love overreacting to every single trade. And uh, and it's difficult to gauge whether a trade of draft picks is a good trade or not because their value is so difficult to yeah. to measure. But anyway, I, I digress. Thank you. That's yeah. I, I yeah. love that. Thank you. Yeah. That was awesome. Um <clears throat> For listeners of this podcast, they will know I am an unabashed Kevin Costner fan. Mm-hmm. So this movie already has a step up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest. If Kevin Costner wasn't in this movie, I don't know if I'd enjoy it as much as I do. Not that he carries it, but my affection for him carries my enjoyment in this movie. Uh, is it spoiler? That's not spoiler. No, I'm going to get into it. Um We've actually watched quite a few Kevin Costner films recently. Um, we reviewed JFK. We reviewed Robin Hood. We reviewed uh, Field of Dreams. And then I also watched Revenge. Um, re- and I've seen this before. Rewatching this, it was a hard slap in the face to see Kevin Costner not have romantic chemistry with somebody. <laughs> there is no chemistry with Jennifer Garner. 
I will say this now. I am not a fan of her. Hmm. I don't think I don't think she's ugly, but she is not hot to me. And I think part of it is I just have this feeling inside of me that she is not a nice person. I feel that she is like a, a I think I think feel like she's a bitch. I think you've said that before. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I'm sure there's like I well um I did like her in uh, 13 going on 30. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently watched that for the first time, probably in the last six months or so. Enjoyable. Yeah, it was fun. From what I remember, she's yeah. good. I'm just uh, off the top of my head, you know, she has that one scene in Catch Me If You Can is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to think of other movies with her where I'm like, she was great. I don't want to dig into her filmography. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So th- this was like after seeing Robin Hood have great chemistry with uh, Mary Elizabeth, Master Antonio, and Robin Hood. Didn't really have he had no romantic interest in JFK, so we don't have to worry about that. But his uh, chemistry with Amy Madigan in Field of Dreams was great. A highlight. The sizz- you didn't see this his sizzling chemistry with Madeline Stowe in Revenge. Like he is a charm machine, and I felt nothing in this movie. No, it's it's rare. Kevin Costner is just somebody who for one reason or another just has this magnetism about him and certainly had certainly had back in the 90s yeah um and even as we've progressed through the 2000s he has a a fair amount of that going on as well but yeah jennifer garner and him don't really seem like they want to be on screen together at the same time uh their their romance was admittedly a weak point of the film for me understatement they they yeah they didn't seem like they wanted to be in the room together and Honestly, it didn't even really add that much intrigue. There was no there was no stakes, there was no consequences. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like it was a big deal that it was a secret. I didn't feel like if it was a if this came out that either of their jobs or lives would be at stake. But, but in all and I didn't mean to cut you off, in reality, it would. In reality, it would. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. But on the other hand, I, I didn't feel like there was even much there to risk in the beginning. So what the way the script should have been written or may have been written was that uh, our our main character has a choice he can either try to keep this a secret and risk alienating this woman or losing this woman or reveal it to everybody and risk losing his job and character is revealed through decision making so that would have been a huge character moment for our person but we don't feel either side of those consequences we don't feel any of that so um I guess it's just a bit underwritten. A hundred percent. Like the basis, the basis for a really intriguing romance is absolutely there, um, but it's just we don't get any of that fleshed out, even a little bit. It's yep. d- definitely disappointing. Totally. Um, other than that, I had an enjoyable time with this movie. Um, one of the highlights for me in this movie uh, is Chadwick Boseman. Mm. He is. <sighs> It is very similar to our loss of Heath Ledger. Um, just, I'm honestly just thinking of imagining the two of them together in a movie, like in not like in an action movie or like, but like a drama. Yeah. Those two, you know, like. So we're holy cow! We're 14 years away from Heath Ledger's passing, and we're what, seven years of Chadwick, roughly. Wait, say again. How long has Chadwick been gone? Chadwick's been gone for like two years, right? Not two. Hold on. Longer than that. Four? At least four. 
I feel like we had uh, we had already been doing the podcast for a while, right? Oh, you're right, because he would have been alive in Black Panther, so three years? Two, two and a half, August 2020. Okay. Yeah, so just uh, first few months of the pandemic. But yeah, just like just imagine... Heath Ledger... Well, Dark Knight came out in 07, which means Heath Ledger died in 08. Yeah. Or... No. No, he uh, was dead at the oh, by the time it came out. 08. He passed away in 08. In 08, yeah, so that's 15 years. Imagine the two of them in like a gritty drama mm-hmm. bouncing off one another. Like, that's magic uh that that we lost out on yeah um he's got what four scenes and he's magnetic in all of them there's one of them that's non-verbal he doesn't even have any lines in it probably know the one is that near the end yep (laughs) unreal right yeah unreal unbelievable non-verbal acting yep and uh (laughs) almost made me cry legitimately almost made me cry legitimately (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad you said that because guess what? I did cry. Yep. Yep. And Would like, I have cried if he was still alive? I don't know. But I legit say no. <laughs> I'll legit 100% say no. I would not have cried if he was still alive. But just seeing him, it, it, I don't want to get too deep into the description of it, but he's experiencing a very strong emotion. Yep. And seeing him experience that emotion just made me well up. Yeah. It was, it was pretty crazy. And you're just like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into the movie. Time to spoil draft day. In three, two, one, uh, go fuck yourself. Sam, as always, notable scenes. What are you going to lead off with? Uh, yeah, I guess I can kind of just start chronologically. I want to go with uh, the announcement that they got the first overall pick when Kevin Costner walks walks back into the room uh, as they're talking about who they're going to take with seven and says, you don't have to worry about that anymore. We just got the number one. Okay. Um, I like some things about the scene. Don't like some things about the scene. One of them I already kind of touched on. I don't think the reaction from the group of them and especially from the coach is warranted. I think a coach of that caliber, they, they've made a big deal about how they're paying him a lot of money to coach this team. I think even if he's one of these run first traditional old school coaches, if, if you get a first overall quarterback, I think you're pretty excited either way, even if the price is three first uh, first round picks. That's my opinion. So I, the reactions there are, are maybe not the most realistic, but certainly realistic enough for this movie. And mm-hmm. they don't don't it doesn't necessarily bother me all that much. What I do like is the roller coaster of emotions in this scene. You get him walking in, and he gets to kind of be the man. And you can see in Kevin Costner's acting, he's not celebrating. He's nervous giving this information which i like saying we just traded for the number one pick and he doesn't say it with a lot of conviction he says it uh as if he's hiding something which he is yep uh and the room explodes the room like the celebrations around the room uh i feel like you can really feel that emotion so that's that's a lot of fun and then it's dennis leary's character who is the one who says okay what's the price and then the air gets completely sucked out of the room yeah and i i really like uh i think that's ivan reitman's direction there of just having that the like i said the air gets sucked out of the room the the drop from 100 to zero is a really effective way of showing like oh this may not have been entirely the best decision yep but uh yeah that that was one of the first scenes that really stood out to me okay uh my first scene actually comes right before that Mm -hmm. it is seattle calling cleveland 
Yeah. Um, and then we have, I think the character's name is Tom, the GM of yes. Seattle, yeah. who is eating his pancakes, setting up a payoff at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, this whole scene sets up the whole movie. It's what put the it, it puts the whole movie into motion, and we basically get right into it. Um, another part of someone's enjoyment of this movie comes full on in this scene. Whether or not you enjoy the split screen action they got going on, I really liked it. I really yes. liked it. I forgot to say that in the non spoiler section. I, I thought it was a really creative take. Perfect. We've seen these phone calls, uh, phone call uh, conversation scenes uh, a thousand different ways, a thousand different times, and it's really refreshing to see a director try to come up with a novel take on it. I, it Might it get distracting if this was like every movie? Yeah, I don't want to see this in every movie. Agreed. But I really like that we have people walking into each other's screens. Yes. Their shoulders just kind of bleeding into another one of the uh, yep. the split screens. I think it's a, a really clever take. I, I was totally on board for that. Cool. I'm so I'm so glad because I felt exactly the same way. And I think that they wanted to do something like this because a lot of this movies are conference calls between two people. Mm-hmm. And if you just have the standard, here's a shot of that war room, here's a shot of that war room, and you just go back and forth, it would be... This movie would lack the energy that the movie does carry. Mm-hmm. While, which we'll get into a technical review, the pacing of this film is impressive. Yeah, we get going right from the first scene. The first scene of this movie is that sort of uh, behind the curtain. Hmm, who can we fleece today? Who can we? Who can we take advantage of on this day? It's the plotting, mm-hmm. and it just gets going right out of the gate. It's good. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, it sets up. Bo Callahan, and it sets up Brian Drew. Um, it sets up some of the big players um, that are going to be very important for this movie. Uh, I just think it's a right, a, a right, a very great start to the film. Yeah, and I love I love the naming of the characters as well. Bo Callahan definitely sounds like a football player. Yeah. Like you're talking about someone like Callahan, like that guy's got to have a bazooka for an arm. Like that guy, <laughs> I can already hear analysts talking about him. Also, uh, I don't know what it is. There's something about guys with two first names who they just have to be athletes yes like if you told me there's a quarterback in the nfl named brian drew i'd be like yeah definitely that (laughs) that guy i can see him in an indianapolis colts uniform already nice like like there's a there's a quarterback named uh, matt ryan who uh who played for the falcons for a while briefly played for the colts Uh, two first names for some reason athletes but uh um yeah i like i like this first scene what I what I actually wanted to bring up with you, I was just kind of getting settled in at the beginning of the movie. This happens sometimes where I'm I'm just finishing up setting up my notes. I've already clicked play. I thought maybe I missed some information. Uh, do we know why the Seahawks are actually looking at moving this pick? Because they seem really excited about Callahan. They do, but they I think what they're they don't. It seems like they're wondering. Um, they have this pick. They like Callahan, but they're trying to decide like. Who like they don't give a real they don't give a real reason, but they're just like, this is worth something. Why don't we explore to see if we can increase the value of this pick? Mm-hmm. Is basically can can we get more for this number one pick than we can? Um, I I guess I would be under the assumption that they feel. I always thought in my mind Seattle had. I know in reality at this time in twenty fourteen, uh, is it Russell Wilson? 
Yeah, it's funny. In 2014, in February of 2014, the Seahawks would have won the Super Bowl uh, <laughs> with with a rookie quarterback, Russell Wilson. Okay, perfect. But before that, they would have been terrible, which would have made sense why they're in the bottom yeah. of the pack in this the movie. The thing is, is that it, originally in the script, it was not the Seahawks that were this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the Jets. Yeah, that's right. The Jets. Uh, it was supposed to be the Jets and the Bills in, mm-hmm. in this movie, but whatever. Um my in my mind, they were just exploring the options. They have this incredibly, they have this incredibly value valuable number one pick because the unanimous number one overall is going to be this franchise quarterback. So I always, from what I gathered in that first scene, there's like, let's explore our options. We have this. Can we get? Can we exploit this pick for even more mm-hmm. than what it is? That, that's, that's that makes it, some sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and it's not its not like we need that explanation, but it, it just seems like in the universe that was set up in the movie. Again, I'm trying not to over overanalyze the football of this, but it does seem like, uh, from a certain point of view, the logical decision would be to hang on to the pick. But then we don't get a movie if they if they hang on to the pick. So, exactly. So then there you go. Uh, okay. Uh, it's your pick next. Yeah. What if we want to go from here? Let's go with... Um, uh, reviewing the Vontae Mack footage. The Wisconsin versus Ohio State game? Yep. That was my next one, yeah, too. Cool. Okay. Um, Again, my brain, that is the brain of a football fan, goes, they should know all this stuff already. They should know this footage like the back of their hand. No, where's Vontae in this clip? Oh, he got ejected, question mark? That, I'm like very much trying to put that to the back. <laughs> Even, yes. And, and that's exactly what this comes down to. Like, yeah. you have to let go of the realism. Mm-hmm. And they <laughs> should know this because in that previous scene that you liked, when yeah. he walks into the war room, I don't you, – you might not have noticed because of your first watch. <laughs> There's a whiteboard, and they have two rows. One is Jennings. The other is Vontae Mack. Yeah. So <laughs> they have super scouted Vontae Mack. And for them to be like, oh, yeah, he did get ejected that game. <laughs> Dude, you have broken this like, player. What are we talking about? This and 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 we also know we're in spoiler section. We know that before Costner goes to work, he writes to himself, "Vonte Mac at all costs." Mm-hmm. Is that what he writes down? Uh, yeah, Vonte Mac, no matter what. No matter what. Yeah, and so for them to be like, "Oh yeah," you're just like, <laughs> "Okay, you just gotta let it go because it's a movie." They got they gotta play up the drama of it. Yeah, the, the executives uh, not knowing certain things about Vontae Mack that they're just finding out on draft day is certainly there for the drama of it. It's there to keep the pacing up. Yeah. You know, we talked about how good the pacing is in this film. I think um, it's arguably at the expense of a bit of the writing because and, 100%. And a bit of the logic. They, yep. they probably made a creative decision at one point to go, okay, we're, we need to throw logic out the window at a few of these things because we need to drop the audience tidbits of information in interesting ways and the best way to do that is have our characters on screen find it out at the same time yep that's just a decision they probably made along the way i respect them for doing it totally um so with all that in mind this is a, this is a perfectly fine scene it's a it's a good exposition dump uh and a, a creative way of doing it in the film room there are certain real life football things like not even talking about the executive decision making side um or I guess, I guess a little bit on the scouting side. It is arguably a knock on Vontae Mack, even though the story of him giving the ball to his sister is very sweet. Who it, dies six months later. Yeah, who dies six months later. If we don't have that, he really did just, like, 
break a rule, which is give a football to a fan, and then touch a ref when he was called on it and get ejected from a game, arguably a knock on his... Uh, value. What, value? What, what you would call the football IQ. Yep. You know, and on his value, ultimately. Yep. Um, it doesn't seem like they care about that. They might not, but worth pointing out as well. Um, since we're talking about this, it's uh, it's not in this scene, but it's the catalyst for the scene to occur because I'm going to heap praise on Chadwick any chance I get. Mm -hmm. The scene prior to this where he tells Sonny to watch the clip. Yeah. Phenomenal. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, another, uh, maybe just a general question. I don't know if this really fits here. Yep. Um, the film mostly, uh, one of its strengths is uh, its themes, which I kind of touched on in the non-spoiler section. The It really hammers home this keeping cool under pressure theme mm -hmm. for uh, Kevin Costner's character, for the, it being the knock on Bo Callahan, for it being uh, one of Vontae Mack's strengths, how he's keeping cool under pressure. That's a really constant theme that we drive home in a lot of our characters. Even the, um, I'm sorry, the female uh, lead. Jennifer Garner? Je even Jennifer Garner's character, whenever we see her, she's cool as a cucumber. It's one of her strengths as a character on a screen. That was obviously... Um, something that the writing staff was keeping in mind in every decision that they made. Um, so with that in mind, I'm not totally sure where the writing was going. Maybe you can help me with this. Not sure where the writing was going on the Bo Callahan birthday party side story. I don't really know where that fits into all this. Um, I'm wondering if you can maybe help me because it seems like they're leaning towards this is a knock on this guy. He doesn't have any friends. Yep. I don't know why we have that as a knock on him here. I, I don't know why this is being talked about at all in the first place. In college football, mm -hmm. their roster is about 80 people mm -hmm. or 80 plus, like 80 people. And what they're thinking is if the captain of this team has a birthday party and not one of his teammates are coming there is a problem with that player. Mm -hmm. Now, what is that problem? Who knows? Is he a racist pig? Is he a complete fucking asshole? Is he a narcissistic fuck? And is he not a team player? Is he not someone that supports his teammates? What is the reason that this quarterback, who is usually the most popular player on the team, the captain of the team, that not one of 80-plus people of his teammates that he goes to war with mm -hmm. are coming to his birthday? That, that for me, would be a red flag. Okay. I guess what I'm saying is it feels like this is supposed to be related to this composure thing. Mm. And it, it, oh. just, it just feels like the script is a little less uh, focused this way. Mm -hmm. Like, if they wanted to just go, aha, we've discovered the key, but Callahan doesn't keep his cool under pressure, that fits into our theme. It's a, it's a concise knock on one player that uh, the audience can understand quickly. It seems like that's a cool screenwriting thing. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why we also have this birthday party thing. In okay. There. Nope. That, that makes sense. Yeah. There is no connection between okay. that. If, if that's the theme that you seem to be pulling from it, mm -hmm. which I respect, I never saw that as a, as an overarching theme for everything. Mm -hmm. I definitely saw the Bo Callahan not working well under pressure, especially with the, the scene we just talked about. Um, but, in regards to the whole movie, uh, you pulling that out and then them focusing on this, that I, I'm with you. There is no connection between the birthday party thing okay. and and being under pressure. Right. I it yeah. felt like there was something I was missing. Nope. But okay, you weren't missing a thing. Understood. You were correct in your assessment that uh, that's 
lacking there. Got it. Okay. Uh, okay. Your so pick. Wisconsin versus Ohio State game was my next pick. So I'm going to jump into one super short scene. Um, it's just a discussion between I think it's their head of security and Sonny. Yeah. Uh, it's the hundred dollar story. Hmm. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Uh, I thought it was great. I love that the guy himself is trying to build up the mystery. And Kevin Costner's Ask having me who wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. <laughs> um, I really liked it. And then I like that they also use that to help build up Brian Drew as well, because he did the opposite of what Bo Callahan did. Again, so we're getting that whole we want to keep Brian Drew. He is a Brown. He is our franchise quarterback, mm-hmm. despite him getting hurt, despite him not apparently living up to what a lot of people think his uh, his talent level and his expectations should be. Um, yeah, I, the $100 story has always just been a scene I've enjoyed, both for the story itself and that guy, again, trying to build the mystery and annoying the fuck out of Kevin Costner. <laughs> Yeah, I I, I like these uh, these moments in the film as well. The the head of security is a, a good character that we can uh, we can get to this this hundred dollar story. You probably encountered this in your trivia uh, yep. research as well. But this is a, a real thing. Yep. And I remember hearing this story. I Did you really? It. Yeah. Um. It was about I I didn't remember who it was about. I had to look it up again. It was about Jamarcus Ruckel. Yeah. Uh, Jamarcus Russell. Excuse me. Um, who was a, a quarterback. And it was the same thing that happened. They suspected that he wasn't reading the playbooks, so they started putting money in the actual physical playbooks back when that was a thing before every team just did tablets (laughs) (laughs) and did it all on the internet. And they asked him, hey, what did you think of the playbook? And he never said a a thing about it. Never never said a single thing about it. Awesome. Uh, Your pick. Where do we want to go from here? Um Okay, the next one I have is uh, the Brian Drew locker room conversation. Oh, interesting choice. Yeah, I, I really like this conversation, actually. I think um, this actor who's playing Brian Drew, not doing, like, the best work, but doing good work. Tom Welling? Sure. Yeah. I, I honestly don't really know. But he's doing good work. You can feel his passion. You can feel that he really feels slighted. And uh, Kevin Costner, again, keeping his composure uh, under pressure completely wins this scene completely takes him down a peg and even though even though brian drew is probably right to be pissed kevin costner is not letting him guilt him at all he's like i'm a businessman and if i trade you i trade you if i don't i don't whatever i say goes and you can really feel costner's uh authority yes in the scene even though brian drew has every right to be pissed costner doesn't need to sit there in entertainment he doesn't answer to brian drew he answers to himself and the owner, and the owner asked him to do something. He has no qualms about it. Yep. And I, I really like Costner's performance in this scene. Awesome. Also, we get um, there's an actor who's the trainer, yep. whose name I meant to find before we came on air and didn't oh, actually. His real name? Yes. Uh, hold on. He is uh, Brad William Henke. Yes. Uh, who I only bring up because he passed away in 2022. Yes. And we, uh, I can't remember if you talked about this role of his when we did our in memoriam emporium episode. Um, did but, I put him down on this list? I, well, that's the thing. I can't remember. I, I, I don't, don't th- I don't think you would have. I don't think I did, but he, I won't lie. He was on the short list. Yeah. And he was, uh, he was pretty good. In a, yeah, in he's a got two scenes. Role. Yep. When yep. he, uh, he kind of shows up, I, I'm kind of cheating by talking about this other scene, but the scene where he's 
pumping Brian Drew up to Kevin Costner. He's like, hey, my boy's been working out. Bench 400. <laughs> and he just shows up the worst possible time after uh, after uh, Kevin Costner has basically just signed his death warrant. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I think this – I think in this scene in particular, I think it's one of Costner's best moments in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Him – Really asserting, and I hate to use this word, but it's one his dominance. Yeah, his he is the man in charge. This is his team. He is doing what's best for the team, mm-hmm. and I love that. You're you're right. He completely shoots Brian Drew down. Yeah, he's like, you have a problem. You talk to your agent. Yeah, and I like that. Even though he's having his doubts about the validity of the trade he just made, even though he's still, I think at this point in the movie, kind of on the fence about it. Yep, he's the guy calling the shots. And it's it's not Brian Drew's place to call him out on it. Yep. It's not his place to, to question him. And he basically tells him as much. Yep. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit uh, to the scene you and I uh, most likely were referring to. And that's when Sonny picks Vontae number one. Oh, man. Just watching watching Chadwick well up. Hand over his face in disbelief. Yep. Trying to conceal the emotion that he's having, crying out of pure happiness, is honestly hard to watch and even hard to talk about right now. Yeah. yeah. I literally just feel it in my face. I agree. Right, my face is getting very warm. Even I agree. Just talking about the scene. Uh, I've probably this watch here for this is probably my third or fourth watch of this movie, mm. and probably maybe only the second time I've watched it yeah second time I've watched it since he passed away and I think the last time I watched it I didn't really I didn't really pay attention to this scene as much but I always remember this scene because Chadwick's exactly what he said his nonverbal acting is through the fucking roof Mm -hmm. he is unreal in his reaction to going number one and I I, what makes it even better is is the direction of the scene because he's in stunned silence and the room is exploding around him. Mm-hmm. And now we don't, I can't remember if they silence it out or if you're hearing the sounds from the war room and the ESPN over top of the people in his house, but you can tell that it's loud there, but we just see his silent reaction to it and it's fucking mesmerizing. And it is a great moment as well because this is, um, I don't want to call it a low point for Sonny, but he's definitely on the hot seat after making this pick. And the owner is basically on his way to fire him. Yep. Uh, and he, he's in a very low spot personally. Uh, but he gets to have this one glimmering moment where he knows he's he knows inside that he's done the right thing. And he has just gotten to make Vontae Mack's life better. Yeah. Um, and for that, he gets to at least feel good about himself for a bit before his world might come crashing down yep um i love the war room reactions Mm -hmm. we again get to see it's it's the room we're watching is in silence we're getting the i think the espn play-by-play and the shock of the announcers going what the fuck just happened Mm -hmm. and kevin costner is there at this moment steadfast in his decision that he has done what he thinks is best for the Browns and the whole room around him is exploding in disbelief and shock over what he's done. The fact that he traded away the team's future for a linebacker at number one, 
uh, is pretty astounding, but mm-hmm. he turns that around shortly, uh, <laughs> which I'm sure we're going to get into. Yeah. Um, the reveal of the sticky note, which they have teased at the beginning of the film, and I think they we see flashes of it two or three more times. And this is where we, we get the reveal that it was uh, uh, Vontae Mack at all costs. Is that Was that right? Uh, Vontae Mack no matter what. No matter what. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, love it. I absolutely love it. Now, granted, is it because he's choosing Chadwick Boseman, who I love, even before, even before, even, <laughs> even before his passing? Yeah, maybe. Mm. Is it because Chadwick Boseman is so incredibly charismatic, lovable, and incredibly great in his four or five scenes? Yeah, probably. Is it my love of Kevin Costner? Sure. This scene just works for me. I love it. I had a great time. Okay, I've got several things to say. Yeah. All of that is just true. Okay. And I, while I wasn't, I wasn't and don't think still am as big a Chadwick fan as you. Not saying I dislike him. Of course I nope. don't. But nope. just I don't have that same affinity for him as you do. His acting in this one little snippet is superb and in all of his parts are superb. It's so good, in fact, that when later in the film uh, with the number seven pick, they take the running back. It's noticeably worse. <laughs> um, I don't know if you know who that is. Um, nope. uh, the actor's name is Arian Foster. He was actually longtime running back for the Houston Texans. Oh. Had, had a pretty reasonable career. I think he holds a number of records for the Texans. Um, and is somebody that I respect on a personal level uh, because he is one of the few NFL players who, while he was active, was an outspoken atheist, and he did that in the Deep South in Houston, Texas, as a <laughs> as a black man, uh, and was uh, not very well received at all times <laughs> in, in Houston. So he had, a, he had a very tumultuous career down there, but I always I always respected him for uh, for sticking to his beliefs. Um, not a great actor. <laughs> Sorry, Arian, I respect you as a person and as a football player, but not not the best performance. That's fair. That's fair. Um, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, even if this is right, even if this is right to take Vontae Mack over Bo Callahan, mortgaging the future to trade up for the pick for Bo Callahan, having your owner fly out and then not take him is just asking to lose your job yes that's just it's pure career suicide even if you are right even if Vontae Mack has the better career it's just it's just very dumb yeah it's a very dumb thing to do yeah um but but we have to we do have to remember like and this is just because this is what I I I think that you're insinuating is that Kevin Costner traded those picks to get the number one he was going to take Bo Callahan yeah okay uh, it just sounded like you thought he was trading those picks oh, to get no, number yeah. one to, the, the to, plan... pick, to pick Vontae at number one. He's calling an audible. He's okay. he's making a last-minute unilateral decision uh, to take Vontae Mack, and he's he's sticking to his guns. Credit to him. But, uh, but yeah, the, not the optics. You have to always consider in these roles, like in, as if you're an executive, you have to think of the optics. Mm-hmm. Even, even though it seems like a silly thing to worry about, as we see in the film... Uh, fan opinion can weigh heavily on your on your decisions yep. as it does for the Seahawks GM. Yep. Uh, you would think uh, you would consider just for a second how is this going to look if I just trade up to take the guy I could have taken at seven. Yep. I could have made that unilateral decision myself. But that's okay. Yep. We're gonna get, we're gonna get bailed out later and it'll be fine. We are. 
Uh, your next pick. Next pick. Here we go. Um, You're on the clock. Yeah, we're on the clock. Very good. So if I take 10 minutes, do you get to jump in there and get <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that's actually a real thing. That's one of the things I learned from oh, this. Oh, I, did, I did know that. I, I didn't know that that was actually a real thing. Apparently, it doesn't happen in the MLB. Apparently, they're a little loosey-goosey with uh, with the clock. But in the NFL, if you if you take over the 10 minutes, you you lose the pick. Yep. That's interesting. It's happened uh, twice, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, Yeah. I, I saw in my research that it happened to the Vikings yep. probably about 10 years ago. Um. My final scene that I have written down is uh, Sonny getting his number ones back. Well, that's my final scene as well. Yeah. Very unrealistic scene, but, but so much fun. I 100% <laughs> agree. So much fun. We get to have our hero uh, get his uh, get his kind of revenge on the villain, even though Tom's not even really a villain. It's he's not just, a villain. He's just another GM who's yeah. just doing his job. And Sonny's just doing to him what was done to him earlier in the film. Um, we also get the best, one of the best lines in the film yes. in the scene. Uh, say it with me, Tom, you pancake-eating motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Making this movie one of the only PG-13 movies ever to use the word motherfucker. Correct. Which is, which is a great little uh, great little tidbit. This is not an R-rated film. Like, no. Yeah, they almost gave it an R-rating, apparently. Correct. The appeal, so. They did. Um, yeah, this is this is a great um, villain getting their comeuppance yes. scene. Yes, even it though is. It, again, it's not always totally grounded in reality, but that's fine if you if you lean into it and you want to. If you can believe in the other stuff that's happened, you can believe in this. That Tom makes the boneheaded decision under pressure, so it fits with the theme. So I can buy into it. Makes the boneheaded decision under pressure to give back the picks. With interest, yes, <laughs> for Bo Callahan, yes, which is again, which is why I was kind of wondering off the top, why are we trading these picks in the first place? Um, again, you would think somebody like Tom, somebody like Tom, who is actually very mindful of the optics of the thing, yes, it's been pointed out, you would think he would be mindful that them giving back the picks with interest, uh, would be a bit of a head scratcher, but okay. We get our we get our protagonist winning moment here. We get the fist pump moment, and even the delivery of Kevin Costner's line, "I love this job," is <laughs> so good. Yeah, <laughs> and it just you know it's it's just fun. And it's it's this it's this scene here that just kind of solidifies that. I'm sure if we like really sat down and thought about, it, we could find another actor that could do this role. But it's it's that charisma and this scene that balances his kind of charm and charisma as well as that kind of underlying anger and mm -hmm. authority that he has that makes this role work for him not saying in any way shape or form that it's like award worthy but it's what makes it's one of the things that makes kevin costner work as an actor mm -hmm. and makes him for me enjoyable on screen and he is, always has this authority on screen yep um we talked we talked early on about the reality of this movie and stuff like that. And this is the one, this is the scene. This is the moment where if you can't accept this, you're just not, this movie is complete dog shit to you. Yeah. Um, I, my note is the lack of logic behind this trade and the reasons is the hardest thing to grasp. There is yep. no reason for Tom to give in to this. No, Z not at all. Zero. He could, he could keep the picks and come out a hero still. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you just have to accept the Cleveland Browns and Kevin Costner's are the protagonists of this film, so they have to win. That's the point of a movie. You want your guys to win the movie. 
That's what this is. This is exactly like you said. This is the bad guy getting his comeuppance. Even though Tom's not a bad guy, he's just. A, <laughs> it's not. He's he's not a jerk. Yeah, uh, he just got the better of Kevin Costner over some picks. Yeah, over over some pancakes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everything about it is just a complete movie moment, fun scene. Like it's just a blast to watch. Um, yeah. I don't really have much to add. There's just, I, there is the uh, he does again. He he does get the the pancake eating motherfucker line thrown back. He he gets that. He also gets to throw back the we live in a different world than we did ten seconds ago. Yep. Gets again gets his comeuppance. Um, it's just a, a nice it's just a nice payoff for the movie, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's what I got. Cool. Yeah, cool. that was that's all of my scenes. Awesome. Uh, what is your favorite scene? Uh, it has to be Vontae Mack getting the call. Uh, when a movie like this, I, I say that as nicely as I can, <laughs> comes to the comes to the brink of making me cry, I feel like that's just an auto win for that scene. Um, you almost convinced me. It's not. I didn't have that picked as my winner, mm. but as we talked about it, I thought about changing it. But I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go with the very unrealistic end scene where Sonny gets his picks back. Can I also just say one more thing about the plot of this I, movie please, uh, before we move a, on? Several things. Uh, which is that I'm actually really glad that we don't get like an end title card of what happened during the season, or we don't oh. get any. We don't get any scenes from later in the season because one of the things that's so crucial about the draft and about life in general and about sports is the unpredictability. You never really know how the draft is going to work out. You, there's no such thing no, no such thing as a sure thing, I think is a line that's said in, uh, at one point in the movie. Yep, it is, yep. Um, it, it, I really like that we don't get, well, it turns out Bo Callahan was a bust after all, and Sonny was right and got to ride off into the sunset. I, I really like that we don't have that epilogue. I agree. I agree. Nice. I love it. Hmm. All right. Uh, performance review. Who you want to start with? Uh, start with Costner. We talked about him at length already. Okay. Should be able to just uh, touch on him here. Uh, a sense of authority in every single scene. Uh, also has that charm and magnetism. Unfortunately, doesn't have great uh, charisma with Jennifer Garner. I always want to say Julia Garner now <laughs> because of oh. Ozark. But <laughs> I still haven't finished that. Oh, really? Yeah. I just finished it probably a few weeks ago. That's all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't always have the best charisma with uh, Jennifer Garner, unfortunately, uh, but that's one small knock. Uh, they only really have, uh, they don't have that many scenes together. Just the two of them? Yeah. I guess they have maybe three, four. Morning. Yeah. Two closet scenes. Mm-hmm. And then a couple other. So maybe five. Yeah. Okay. Five scenes of just yeah. them. It doesn't really feel like they have that much together because, I mean their scenes don't really have much consequence well the the movie's not really supposed to be about them yeah um i agree uh kevin costner is charming as always wins me over because i'm a fan of him um i love i i couldn't find the word when i was doing my notes um you use the word authority that's perfect because Mm -hmm. i had angry yeah um but he's not he's not angry he's authoritative Mm -hmm. uh and so that's much better uh he has he has good chemistry again. He has good chemistry with pretty much everyone else in this movie, especially his war room guys. Yep, that's there's some fun stuff in there. I didn't pick any of their scenes, but there is there is that one scene where he's angry at them for looking at Bo Callahan's uh, fuck list. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Um, but 
he you were very polite about his uh, chemistry with Jennifer Garner. I'm not going to be. They have zero. I don't feel any romantic tension between them. I feel no sexual tension between them. I feel no stakes in their relationship. Um, again, is it partly because of my bias that I don't really like Jennifer Garner that much? It is possible. But there are times when uh, an actress or an actor I don't like, uh, I have to admit that they do well in a movie. But this is not one of those times. Um. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of Kevin Costner. I think he's I think he's just fine in this movie. This there's no way I'm going to put this in like my top 10 favorite Kevin Costner performances, but uh his uh his charm and on-screen presence uh wins me over as always. Uh my pick uh I'm going to go with uh the uh <laughs> Let's go with Dennis Leary. Oh wow! Okay. Um, every time he talked, I wanted to look inside his mouth because he is chewing the scenery. <laughs> he has decided that I am going to go over the top in every scene, uh, and not not in a hammy way, but in a I'm just going to go as big as I can. I'm going to be that guy. That is going to try to win every scene I'm in in whatever way possible. Mm -hmm. He is egotistical. He is still relatable. While he is he is egotistical, like he is walking around with his Super, Super Bowl, Bowl ring, ring on. <laughs> on. He is actually wearing it. Uh, that would be insufferable mm -hmm. as a person. And from our understanding... He wasn't even the reason that that team won a Super Bowl, because I, from my understanding, he was like an assistant coach of that team. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what the situation. Because I think is, they said he inherited a team that had already won, so yeah. maybe he was the coach on like they won back to backs. Maybe I don't know. Um, either way, but then he said they said they ran he ran the team into the ground and he got fired. Lucky for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, lucky for you. I'm like, you guys are still paying him $30 million over six years. <laughs> Yo, lucky like, you. So how much would he have cost if he didn't get fired? <laughs> Anyways, uh, again, you just you got to let, 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 rea let reality go. Uh, apparently, he's a good coach. Um, but he's – I still ha – I, I have an affinity for Dennis Leary. Um, he was a, a very popular stand-up comic in when I was in high school um, with his very famous – special and then the song asshole and stuff like that mm -hmm. and then his acting career has been enjoyable for me um he has a role in a movie i love called the thomas crown affair he is uh, a supporting character in there he's a, a police a police detective trying to track down thomas crown trying to prove that he is the thief in the movie i'm not spoiling anything the movie is called the thomas crown affair mm. um and he's been in a few other uh few other movies uh, he's very <laughs> very enjoyable in a super cheesy action film called demolition man uh with wesley snipes and sylvester stallone um i've had a i have a good time when dennis leary uh is on screen and of course let's be real i also like him because he's from boston and he's a massive red sox fan mm -hmm. um yeah dennis leary my choice yeah i agree uh discount willem defoe does a great job in the film 
Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't have the same connection with Dennis Leary. I know who he is. I'm yep. familiar with his stand-up, and, uh, and I, I was just looking to see if I'm familiar with him in any of his acting roles. I don't really think that I am. I mean, I have really watched the Ice Age movies, which is about what it seems like he's oh, been up to through the right. through the 2000s. Shit. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's good in the movie. I definitely buy that he's an arrogant prick of a coach yes. who thinks the sun shines out of his ass yes. and thinks he is what's going to bring this team to the promised land, thinks he deserves to be consulted on all personnel decisions and yada, 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 yada. Um, yeah, he, he does a really good job with the role that he's given. And uh, I, I think him and uh, Costner go head to head a couple of times. Yeah. And they have a couple of good tete-a-tetes. Yeah. Awesome. Who are you going next? Well, I mean, I really thought you were going to go Chadwick. I was. <laughs> I was. <laughs> well, let's go there. Chadwick. Right. Uh, really small amount of screen time. Yes. Was so happy the first time he appeared on screen. Because you didn't know, did you? I don't think that I did. I In my head, as I was going through my notes, I was like, yeah, I knew that Chadwick is in this movie. But as I'm going through my raw notes, I have uh, the line, exasperated when Chadwick appears, <laughs> <laughs> written down. So I must have been surprised, I guess. Uh, I, I did watch this probably about five days ago already. Yeah, so you watched it on the Sunday again. Yeah, I've been, I've, I've been having to watch it on the Sunday. I usually watch it on Wednesday, but I had to work anyway. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I uh, I was really happy when he, when he showed up. And uh, every single scene, he's fantastic in. Uh, even scenes where I don't always fully agree, like uh, somehow Vontae Mack has the one key to the whole draft. He tips him off that Bo Callahan isn't what he seems. It's kind of a ridiculous scene, but his acting in it is so good that I'm like, oh shit, he must, he must have some information. <laughs> he must know he's Vontae Mack. Yep. Uh, I agree. He is absolutely unreal. And that very scene where he tells Sonny to watch the bow game, he fucking rules. Yeah. He's like, watch the tape. And you're like, I'll do whatever you say, yeah. Vontae. I'm like, you are so incredible. Yeah. Uh, he is just great. And like we said, um, that scene where he hears that he is the number one pick when it, it is discovered, uh, he's just jaw-dropping. Jaw-dropping. Um, awesome. Uh, I got one more. Sure. Do you have any more? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, I pick one. You probably don't know who this is. Uh, I pick Griffin Newman. Hmm. Uh, he is Rick the Intern. Oh, okay, cool. The only reason I pick him, uh, he is a podcast hero to me. Is he? He has one of the most popular movie podcasts called Blank Check. Uh, it's called. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. Yep, Blank Check with Griffin and David, and that's him. That's Griffin Newman. Cool. Um, he does make me giggle, not because his performance is great. It's just because it's so fun to see him when I've listened to literally hundreds of hours of him i have listened to that podcast for close to eight years and i've listened to probably about 70 percent of their podcast and their podcast is similar to ours they are two usually two hours plus wow and he is uh, a very very gifted uh podcaster and he also guests guests on a lot of other podcasts like he has been on the screen drafts podcast uh he's been on a couple other podcasts he is absolutely fantastic uh as a as a speaker as a as a podcaster very entertaining so seeing him in a movie uh is very fun he has referenced this movie numerous times not in a bragging way he's just you know if it happens to come up like if kevin coster comes up in conversation it's not that he purposely insult inserts it in he's not egotistical like that but he'll talk about it and the 
think I think one of the reasons I love it as well is he talks about how great of a guy Kevin Costner is. Oh, that's awesome! And I'm like, yeah. that's so cool. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't think the performance is all that great. In fact, if it was anybody other than Griffin Newman, or if I wasn't a fan of the podcast, I wouldn't even care. Yeah. But it's because I have I've listened to him all. Let's see, fifty two weeks in a year. I probably listen to about. Th- let's say about 35 40 of his podcasts every every week uh, over the course of the year so he's in my ear like i said like hundreds of hours over the last eight years it was like watching a friend in a movie yeah that's that's really cool yeah and uh while this character wasn't one of my favorites i i didn't really have any strong opinions about him he didn't always land some of it did one great moment that he does have is when kevin costner finally decides to be nice to him uh and he's like sorry i threw your laptop i'm gonna buy you a new one that's a fun little scene i I was a big fan of that um yeah that's a good pick and while i don't have anyone else is that the last one that you have it is yeah while i don't have anyone else i'll just add like the minor cast in this minor in quotes actually really solid both from a performance and a name recognition perspective you have um frank langella sam elliott ellen burston uh terry cruz in a small role brad william hankey we already talked about um P. Diddy is in this movie for a second for some reason. Um, oh, go ahead. I was just, and then you have all the uh, the football players. I already talked about Arian Foster. Um, one of the jokes that I had lined up, but I can't tell now, is uh, I don't know if you know who Ray Lewis is. But, I do, but he's in this movie. Yes, uh, I had I had uh, overall good guy Ray Lewis written down, but then I looked into it, and it turns out Ray Lewis did not murder anyone allegedly. Uh, or was never convicted of murdering anybody, so it's up for debate. But apparently, he was uh, he was never found uh, never found criminally liable. Oh, so okay, I ha- I had another person and I lost it and I just regained it in time. So I'm gonna jump in before I forget again. Okay, go again. Yeah. Um, the actor that plays Bo Callahan is Josh Pence. Mm-hmm. Do you know who that is? I don't think so. Okay, you I I what I did know if you did. He's kind of famous because he was in a movie. And then removed from it. He is the person that played the other Winkleboss twin in the social network and then had uh, Army Hammer's face digitally placed on it. Okay. That's the other guy. That's – he's one of the Winklevi. He is one of the Winklevi. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, Your uh, pick for performance. Uh, Do it. (laughs) Do it. All right. Chadwick. Chadwick for me too. (laughs) Why not? Were, were, you, were you like, maybe I'll give it to Kevin? I was thinking about giving it to Kevin because yeah. he's, he's it's, pretty good. But it's Chadwick. Yeah, Chadwick Boseman. Awesome. Uh, technical review. Uh, I don't have too much to discuss on this, um, but you can lead off. Let's go with uh, let's go with the editing to start because nice. uh, that's probably the flashiest element of the technical side. The okay. decision to have most of the conversations in split screen rather than shot reverse shot. Uh, we go split screen. We have actors crossing into each other's frames. Uh, really creative, really borderline fourth wall breaky stuff. But close. Um, but yeah, I love it. it. Like very much draws attention to itself, but not in a negative way for me. It really worked for me. I'd understand anybody watched this. They thought it took them out of the movie. I would get it. For me, it really worked. Yeah, I think it. I think for I think for you and I, um, I think for you and I, I think it really works because it is something different. That's true, and that's something and that. that- Oh, sorry. I cut you off. It's Continue. something I'm trying to be more aware of as we're reviewing films as well, is I think I don't want to give into this bias that because something is different, it's good. I, I think people who watch a lot of movies tend to have that 
where uh, if something's new or if something's fresh, it's more likely to be perceived as good automatically. But I don't know. For me, this it really just did feel like a fresh take on uh, you know a phone call conversation, which has been done a hundred times. Yeah, and I, I'm always glad when directors are trying to uh, push the envelope. I'm with you. I I am too. I'm trying to fight the the fresh is good yeah. uh, bias that yeah. comes with it. But... Sometimes things are the way they are because that way is good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and changing it's bad. Uh, but... I agree. The editing in this is really great. Um, the other thing that they added in there, I love the ticking clock. Yeah. It takes down just very like the thematically relevant. Yep. Um, the pacing is really good mm-hmm. for a movie. Uh, the only thing, the only problem I have with the editing is we didn't even touch on it at all. Uh, this movie doesn't drag, but it has an entire subplot that could be excised. The plot with the dad. Oh, yeah. That could be completely removed and nothing about this movie would change. Yeah. Again, it, it doesn't tie the. Like the primary theme is what I'm focusing on. The script seems so neat. Yep. It seems so tidy for a lot of it. And they do a really good job of tying in most of the plot elements to this uh, grace under pressure theme. And then they just have like a couple of other like, oh, yeah, we can have it so that he fired his dad or something. Like, what? <laughs> what is that about? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, editing uh, is a great pick. So uh, I'll go with cinematography. One other aspect of this movie I fucking love is every time they go to a new city, you get these sweeping shots of the city and this great um, font coming across telling you, like, Kansas City, home of the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And I just, and then it show like, all of them show the stadium, and then if needed, show the uh, either the practice facility or the headquarters of that team. I, I don't know what it was. I fucking loved it. Yeah, it's I really absolutely cool. loved it. Um, I did have the split screens in the cinematography section as well. Yeah, kind of overlap. It, yeah, you. I think it's better. I think you're right. It's better to put in the editing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you remember this, but the most beautiful shot in the movie is the shot of the mom on the field after the funeral. Yes, hundred percent. Magic hour. Hundred percent. It is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I was like. I, I, I thought kinda, the same thing. I kind of forgot about it, and then it happened. I was like, oh, I'm writing this down. Yeah. I th- Honestly, I don't think I would have noticed it as much if we hadn't reviewed Field of Dreams. <laughs> That's true. Where actually. it's just magic hour constantly <laughs> yeah. in that movie. Um, those are the only things I have. Yeah, I never really noticed the cinematography except for, for that one moment. The rest of the time, it's just fine. It's just, you know, get the guy in frame and get, get all the important information in frame in some way. Yep. So The movie does look good, like... It, it like it looks good mm-hmm. on screen, but it's I don't know whatever. Um, do you have anything else? Uh, I really don't. Um, do I. I I did listen to the score uh, as I was taking notes as I, I tend to. It's fine. It's uh, honestly a bit um, generic. Okay. Let's say um, I didn't notice it in the movie, so yeah, it it does what it's supposed to, which I guess makes it a good score. But honestly, just listening, it's not very re-listenable. It's a bit a bit bland, to be honest. Basically, uh, I think I might have mentioned this before, but I'll just say it again. When we when we watch a movie and we review it, if I notice the score in a good way, mm-hmm. I add some of the tracks into my ongoing movie score yeah, playlist. It, right on. This is not uh, no, it, it's not getting in there. No, nothing. Um, I guess I'll also just add that the screenplay you may have a note on this somewhere as well was on the uh, on the blacklist. Yeah, uh, which just means that it was considered to be a very promising unmade script. Yep. This back in I think 2012, it Correct. was part of the blacklist. Yep. And, and it got made. Um. 
I didn't find it exceptional. None of the dialogue is particularly great with the Agreed. with the except, notable exception of a few lines, which I'm sure we're going to get into in quotes. Yep. Um, and then there's a little bit of fat that could be trimmed as well, which totally. we already kind of touched on. So. Um, okay. What are you picking for your technical winner? Editing. I think the editing is uh, really solid in this movie. Same. 100%. Uh, all right. Quotes. Uh, I totally, we probably could have done this, but I we don't have the I, actual audio clips. Yeah. Um, actually probably would have been pretty easy to get them, but we didn't, we didn't plan ahead. Uh, and let's be honest, these quotes, while some of them are enjoyable, are not iconic enough where I'm sure Sam and I can do just good, good enough. Sammy, what are your five quotes? Okay. I usually have these chronologically, but I got them a bit mixed up uh, right now. Sure. Uh, freshen it up a little bit, you know? Uh, (laughs) okay. So number one, that makes it good. Yeah, it it does. (laughs) This is inherently the best way to do it now. (laughs) Uh, all right, number one. Yeah. Come on, Tom, say it with me, you pancake-eating motherfucker. Nice. Uh, number two, I want all my picks back, and I want David goddamn Putney just because I feel like it. <laughs> I like that one. Well done. Yep. Uh, number three, how is it that the ultimate prize in the most macho sport ever invented is a piece of jewelry? Yep. Um, number four, no one can stop a ticking clock, but the great ones, the great ones always find a way to slow it down. Nice. And number five might be a surprising pick for you, but this is maybe the one moment where I found some chemistry between Kevin Costner and Jennifer Ooh, Garner. Okay. Um, can we talk? Can we talk football? Just football for thirty seconds. We can always talk football. I agree. That is a good scene. Yeah, a good moment between I, the two. I don't it's- know why her delivery of that line is just really good. Like, despite all the chaos, we can always talk football. Yep. Good. Good. Great picks. Um, we have three crossovers. So I'll just get those out of the way. Uh, come on, Tom, say it with me, you pancake-eating motherfucker. Uh, how is it the ultimate prize, the most macho sport ever invented is a piece of jewelry, and no one can stop a ticking clock, but the great ones, the great ones always find a way to slow it down. Mm-hmm. My other two picks are from, uh, it's very early in the movie. It's from Chris Berman himself. 32 teams, seven rounds, 224 young men who today are about to become players in the National Football League, a day where lives are changed Fates are decided, dynasties are born, and the clock is always ticking. Of course, I'm talking about draft day. Great. There's 256 picks. (laughs) Seven times 32 is 224, but there's 32 compensation picks as well. (laughs) Couldn't include it. (laughs) Sorry, nitpicking. Awesome. Uh, And then the other one is a uh, back and forth between Sonny and Coach Penn. Um, there's me doing my job, you doing yours. Your job is to coach the team I give you. They do it different in Dallas? Yeah, they do. They win. A lot. Holds up ring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Sam, what's your winner? Is there a greater insult that we've encountered in a movie this year than pancake-eating motherfucker? There it's, isn't. Uh, it's gotta be my pick. It's my pick, too. Easily, easily my pick. I That was actually a belly laugh. A full-on belly laugh. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fucking great line. Um, all right, Sam, what was the weak link of the film? Uh, I I struggled to think of a way to say it. Uh, you know, I, I I have written down here logic. That's what I have written, written down here. I'm actually gonna call an audible. I'm gonna I'm gonna submit a different uh, okay. a different card. I know we submit the card together usually, but yes. that's uh, we're 
breaking from tradition. When we start winning. When we start winning, we're going to go back to that tradition. (laughs) Uh, I am going to go with the lack of chemistry between Kevin Costner and uh, Jennifer Garner. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll even go a a touch further and say the romantic B-plot just really does not work in the movie. I have three. Oh, my God. Are we allowed to do that? No, but I'm doing it anyways. I love that. Because it's very rare we... Because... you know what I'm doing? I'm making up for lost time for all the ones that didn't have weak. That's great. Okay. okay. Cool. <laughs> okay, we get allotted one weak point per movie, but you do they do carry over. They carry they, over. They roll over. I love that. <laughs> That's a great rule. Uh, I'm jumping. <laughs> I'm jumping on bat. I'm jumping on your lack of chemistry. I have written down. You actually almost were the exact thing I have written down. I said the lack of chemistry between Garner and Co- Garner and Costner, and then I have which is rare for him. Yeah, totally. totally uh, I think it's one of the reasons it stood out so much. I don't. I honestly don't know if it would have stood out as much if I hadn't been watching so much Costner stuff recently. Mm-hmm. But it does. Um, the whole Sunny Senior plot. Yeah. Weak for me. Okay. And then this is something specific that has always bugged me. I understand why, and I hate to say this, this is probably for a lot of American audience, of the American audience. The scene between Allie and Coach Penn where she has to tell the audience she knows football. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit cliche. Yeah. It's it's just a bit. Yeah, I know. I got She the is thing. the fun- <laughs> She's a fucking executive who deals She's a salary cap analyst. Yes. Her entire job is numbers and football. Yeah. And he and you know Coach Penn spouting off all this football jargon and she has to tell the audience don't patronize me. I you you know I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I'm just like, oh, the worst part is that I know they had to put this in there. Yeah. Okay. So the, so that I'm now I'm now square yeah. with all the they no weekly. They could have just put like more female executive. That's just an option. Is just to have more one. than was there more than one? She has no ro- she has no lines. Okay. But she's in the war room. Uh, okay. And she's in like she's not like I hate this. she's not like serving coffee. She's in the seats. I noticed her. Okay. I'm like, she's in there. <laughs> it's like a fucking where's Waldo. She, she she is she is basically just an extra. She's one of those people in the background Got in it. that war room, but she is not like bringing them coffee. She is not an assistant. She is she had a seat. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I agree. <laughs> Maybe some speaking parts for women would have been nice. Yeah. But this is a movie about football. Heaven forbid there's women in it. Yeah, it, I, I just I just love that those are the two options. Like, okay, we can either have a you-go-girl moment where she gets to tell Dennis Leary that she knows football, or we can give a second woman a speaking part. Mmm. <laughs> uh, let's have the you-go-girl moment. That's that's the way to go. <laughs> uh, all right, I got some trivia for you, yeah, you okay. but you probably have uh, already. Okay. Um, so... We mentioned this earlier. Uh, you talked about it. Uh, the trick used by the Washington Redskins. Am I still allowed to say that? Yeah, that's what the team's I'm called. allowed to say it. Yeah. That's your... I'm not allowed to. No. For me, it's Washington Commanders. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the Washington football team. Yeah. Are you... If you're talking about... The Redskins have two Super Bowl wins? Two I, for sure. I'm actually not sure, but... Two for sure. Okay, yeah. They have right. two for sure. Are they... If you... <laughs> Are you allowed to say the Redskins won two Super Bowls, or do you now say what are they called? Uh, they're now called the Commanders. The they Commanders. spent two seasons as the Washington Football Team. Yeah. Now they're the Washington Commanders. So if you're talking about their past when they were the Redskins, are you still allowed to say the Washington Redskins won two Super Bowls? I think you're allowed to. Yeah. I mean, you may choose not to. Um, like 
just as a for instance, I know the Jays radio commentator, whose name escapes me, longtime radio commentator, uh, did not call the Cleveland Indians the Indians for a good 15 years before they changed their name. Just decided to call them Cleveland. Really? Yep. Never noticed. Yep. Just just Cleveland. I think I think he had a fan right, to, a First Nations fan write to him and say that he wasn't a fan of the name. He was like, huh, I never thought of that. And then just called them Cleveland for a while. My respect just grew. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. You can say that Washington won two Super Bowls. That's Washington football team. probably the best way to do it. Yeah, just Washington. Sam, I'm going to tell you, in my presence, you can say Redskins when you're talking about the Washington Redskins. You have wow, my, you I got the R word pass. You got the R word pass. <laughs> That's great. You got the R word pass for me. Uh, you heard it here first, folks. For me, but only yeah. my presence. Can I Can I have a laminated badge? <laughs> in your presence means it's like a level one. Yeah. But like level two is just like any time. Yeah. I haven't gotten there yet. No. Yeah. No. Okay. Got it. <laughs> When you say it, and if someone else gives you shit, you can say it's okay. My friend is a redskin. <laughs> Some of my best friends. No, yeah. I'm not, not going to play that. I'm probably going to choose to not just say that. All right. <laughs> it's good to have it in the back pocket, but I'm going to I'm gonna just keep it there for a bit. All right. <laughs> the trick used by the Washington Redskins of taping a $100 bill to the back of the playbook seemed to be inspired by an anecdote of Jamarcus Russell. His coaches in Oakland did not believe he was watching the game film and once purposely sent him home with blank DVDs to watch. He returned, claiming he watched the video and liked the game plan, obviously lying. There was all, a similar story in the 1980s with Randall Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I was a big Cunningham fan. Uh, the actual 2014 NFL draft had a lot of similarities to the plot of the movie. The actual draft had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback falling in the draft, the Cleveland Browns making a pick that was questioned heavily, and the Browns making multiple trades. John Gruden, John Gruden even stated, this is better than draft day on air during the actual draft. Yep, uh, noted. I just want to get this right so I get the reference right. Yes, uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats legend Johnny Manziel was taken first overall. That, or sorry, not first overall. Uh, was taken by the Browns oh. that year. Um, he had a cup of coffee in the NFL and then yeah went on to play in the CFL hmm. for a couple years and now is playing for. Hold on. Uh, professional indoor football team, FCF Zappers. Okay, I was gonna say I'm like, is he playing? Is he playing an arena ball? Yeah, he is. Or some some sort of fan owned. Does, it, does it have a salary attached to that? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I don't see a contract. Okay, I don't see any. I wonder what they make. It's got to be obviously it's a living wage. I would think so. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, this was Ivan Reitman's final film as a director before mm. his death. Yeah, he passed away just this past year, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Chadwick Boseman was 37 years old during filming. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Playing a college age character. It's an old boy. Yeah. Uh, doesn't look it. No, hundred percent believe. Looks fucking great. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, he's ripped for this movie too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, the Seahawks, uh, the Seahawks general manager in the movie, has a picture of the Legion of Boom uh, mm. in the name of the Seahawks secondary in real life in his office. In the movie, the Seahawks traded away the number one pick, which means they had the worst record in the NFL. In real life, the Seahawks have never had a losing record with the Legion of Boom. Nope, they uh, did not. Casting what ifs? There are none. <laughs> Could not find any. Got who they wanted. But we mentioned it earlier. Uh, the movie originally centered around the Buffalo Bills instead of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, but the studio changed it to the Browns because the production costs were cheaper in Ohio. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right. Closing credits. Would you watch this movie again? Yeah, I think I would. I obviously have. Uh, this is either my third or fourth watch. Um, would you recommend this movie to friends? Uh. I was going to say if they're a football fan, but even that <laughs> might be 
Yeah, I would recommend it to some. I agree. I, I'd say it's worth checking out. That would be the exact words of my yes. of my recommendation. Yeah, same. I I wouldn't recommend this movie to friends, uh, but if somebody asked me if it was worth watching, I would say yes. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. Um, Sam, MVP of the film. MVP of the film. Okay, even though my favorite performance is Chadwick, he's only in it a bit. I don't think he can be the MVP. It's got to be Kevin Costner. I'm with you there. Uh, I really, really, really wanted to give it to, to Chadwick, like, badly. He's the best, but he doesn't carry the movie because yeah. he's in it so little. Uh, yeah, Costner does carry this movie. Uh, in lesser hands, this movie would... This could have been really bad. <laughs> this, this, could, this could have been, like, unwatchable. Uh, without mm-hmm. somebody like Costner at the helm. Uh, Sam, recommend a good double feature with this movie. This one feels really obvious, uh, but I have to go with it because it's the one. Uh, you want a, an even better movie about sports executives making decisions uh, that might make or break their team? How about one of the greatest sports movies ever made, Moneyball? I have the same one. I got lazy and only went with that. Let me see if I can think of a good double feature to go with this. That is not Moneyball because I agree. I think I think this and Moneyball together would be a fantastic I have, uh, double feature. I have a bit of reach, okay, if, which I like to kind of do sometimes on these double features. I have a reach for a second one. This is a movie okay, that one. about a person in a position of power making decisions that get them questioned a lot, and they have to do kind of a thankless job. I'm gonna go with Bridge of Spies. Oh, interesting. Oh wow, those are so totally different. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so I'm going to go with, since if you're watching Draft Day, you're probably you're going to watch a sports movie. You watch, start with this, definitely end with Moneyball. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> Work mo- your way up to Moneyball. Like Moneyball, like, yeah. If By the you, way, uh, if you should... watch Moneyball first and then this, owie. We should also say, uh, rest in peace, Oakland A's. Uh, news came out today, that, or I think today, or the last couple days anyway, that they're going to be moving to L- uh, Las Vegas. Finally. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and now, now we just got to fix Tampa Bay and we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here's, here's my recommendation. Uh, since Moneyball, again, I want to say 100% Moneyball should be your double feature, Mm -hmm. but I think I'll always try and come up with two so we don't have the same Mm -hmm. and then we can just heavily recommend Moneyball. I'm going to go major league. Hmm. Go major league afterwards. Have some chuckles. (laughs) Haha. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Um, what will be this film's legacy? Um, an okay sports movie marred by some real life inaccuracies. Nice. Uh, none. <laughs> I don't, Probably more accurate. I don't think this film will have a legacy. It doesn't really have much uh, cultural impact or relevancy. I, w- I, I would say this film's legacy is it's Ivan Reitman's last film. Yeah. Okay. That will be it. Um, did you learn anything from this movie? Being successful often means keeping a cool head under pressure. Ah, nice. Uh, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> I couldn't. I could not find any deep meaning in this movie that resonated enough for me. I learned that Chadwick Boseman's a pretty good actor. Yep. Um, Sam, your final thoughts on Draft Day? Yeah, this is as advertised. Basically, it's uh, a pretty out there take on what life might be like as an NFL exec in real life. This is uh, this is just not really much basis in reality at all. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a well-paced, well-edited, mostly well-acted movie. Uh, that is good for entertainment. If you can 
listen. So, so listen. I did not put suspension of disbelief totally behind me. I definitely acknowledge this movie has some realism, or some problems with realism, and they did affect my enjoyment of the film a little bit at times. But if you can roll your eyes and you can go, okay, that's a little far fetched, and then move on with your life, I think you'll enjoy the movie. I agree. I really do. Yeah. So that that's it for for draft day. Um. Yeah. We'll, we'll leave it there. Yeah. If if you're looking, my final thoughts, this is a perfectly enjoyable sports film. It has some pretty big logic leaps you need to take to be able to buy into the premise and especially the climactic ending of this movie. And if you can let go of realism and logic, then I think that you're going to have a perfectly enjoyable time. I think that this movie um, obviously has flaws and the pacing uh, is incredibly well, despite the fact that there are two subplots that could actually probably be removed from this film, and the film would not be hurt at all by it. Uh, uh, Sam has stated numerous times we have a, a fairly we have a fine performance from our lead character. We have some really great performances from the supporting cast, Chadwick Boseman in particular. Dennis Leary was enjoyable for us as well. Uh, Anthony Langella is fun as the owner who ne- Frank Frank Langella sorry Anthony's the character Anthony's yep. the character uh, Frank Langella who for some reason refuses to take off his sunglasses <laughs> uh, and then we have some really great like one or two scene um, minor characters from actors that I don't really know like I said the head security guy always kind of makes me laugh um, I'm a fan of Griffin Newman uh, some of the other people in the war room are very enjoyable so it's a, a well-put-together movie uh, that just doesn't quite reach the heights that it could, but doesn't dip as low as it skirts and could have if uh, the casting had gone wrong. Yeah, I uh, think uh, if you trim the, the subplots that don't work or alternatively rework the romantic plot just a touch so that, uh, so that, there's, mo- so that there's more weight. We, Re- need, we need it to be recast, and we need... There, we need there to be stakes. We need we need there to be stakes in that relationship. If you can rework that, I think the film is a lot better. Damn it. I, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of somebody in that role. I'm trying to think of somebody a little bit more age. Oh, I got it. Jessica Chastain. Boom. Yep, that's it. Oh, you did it. Fuck. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Yep. Uh, Sam, your rating on draft day. Uh. You said Duncan was very curious about my rating for this as well, so I wonder if he's still listening. Yeah, I'm, I hope he is. I, he might be. Fucking, he fucking <laughs> better, better be. be. Duncan, we went through the ratings last week with you of kind of what we're thinking. You'll remember there was a phrase I used. A two oh, nice. is a bad movie with moments. A three is a good movie with flaws. This is the threeest three. That is it. Like, this is the bar. If you want to know what I think of a movie, this is what a three is when I say that a movie was a three. This was perfectly enjoyable. Never really never really had a bad time at all. But it there's enough significant flaws that I, I couldn't bump it up into four territory. Okay. Uh, okay. So I mentioned earlier on that I gave a prediction. Yeah. I told Duncan before... Before we recorded this week, obviously we're recording right now, and I talked to him this morning, but it was earlier this week. But I think before you watched it, I can't remember. doesn't matter. No, because I said it even before last week. So I told Duncan, my prediction, wrong. Okay. 
I told it's a little cheating. I told Duncan you're either gonna love this movie or not like it. I said it's a four or a two. Mm. It will not be a three. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm like he's either gonna have a really great time and buy into it and he's gonna have a great time, or he's like, This is dog shit. I'm out <laughs> two. So you getting a three really makes me happy because I honestly thought it was it was gonna be it was sink or swim. I definitely see where you're coming from and I think the the X factor was that like where you're coming from is that I would either buy into it or I wouldn't. Um, what I, what I didn't see coming and what you probably didn't see coming was me buying into it a bit. Like, yeah, it, it irks me a little bit. These realistic inaccuracies, but like I can get past them. So totally. Uh, this is a three for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it doesn't approach a two. Uh, it, it's Costner and Bozeman and the story itself are too enjoyable for me to approach it to, but this doesn't. This is the threest of threes. It does. <laughs> it does not sniff a four. Yeah. Not a fucking chance. There's just too much that's wrong with this movie for it to get there. But there's not enough wrong for me to think about a two. So this is a, a perfectly right down the middle. That's why it makes me so like I shouldn't say so happy, but. It getting literally a 3.0 on Letterboxd. I'm like, yep. it's like uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one more solitary note on draft day before we get yeah, off. Yeah, please. I almost forgot about this. I wanted to touch on it before we get out of here. The scene where we call the Buffalo Bills. Uh, okay. I have but one note. It's three words. Just the line, I fuck Ted. I don't know what that means. It's the It's the dude from Breaking Bad. It's Ted from Breaking Bad, the Buffalo Bills dude. Is, is it, it really? Yeah, it absolutely is. Is it not? I have no idea. Hold on, I have to look that up now. Okay. <laughs> I thought you would he, be the one to recognize him he, for sure. He's the GM? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so... Hold on. Uh, uh, Brian Vontae... When do they When do they call him? Hmm. Now I'm second-guessing myself. No, no. Okay, uh... There's Roger Goodell, Kevin Dunn. They call him. That's the Kansas City guys, Wallace Langham. He played Pete Begler because he, uh, he was also in the Social Network. Uh, he had one scene in there. Christopher Cousins, yes. Christopher Cousins as Max Stone, general manager uh, of yes. Buffalo Bills. Oh, now uh, I he totally played Ted Beneke in 13 episodes of the AMC series Breaking Bad. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Awesome. You know what? Didn't recognize him. Really? Yeah. That is surprising to me. You're a Breaking Bad like, super fan. Yeah, but I haven't I haven't watched Breaking Bad in if I've done a rewatch since you and I have been friends. Maybe not. I've been think friends so. what like six years? Yep. I don't think I've done a rewatch since That's obscene. Yeah, so that's six years. Wow. Um I was just taking a look at the the ratings for draft day on Letterbox because it, it is a, a solid three. Two mm-hmm. percent uh, give it a five. Yeah. One percent gave it a half star. Mm-hmm. And then we have three percent at one star, and then two percent at four and a half. So it like it is. It's very it's very compressed. You can see it like if you look at the rate yeah if the, the rating bar graph is yeah. a square right, right around yeah. right around three yeah it's it's I've, i fucking love letterbox yeah. so much yeah it literally like i'm looking at it at my screen right now it literally just looks like somebody giving the middle finger like with some knuckles on the side yeah that's what the bar graph looks like yep like look like that three is just like a mountain 32 <laughs> percent three yeah uh awesome 
<laughs> Hold on. I need to see this here. Uh, quick, that's 1,000, uh, <clears throat> 3,700. And so let's round it up to, that's four. So we're at 10. Now we're at uh, 18,000. <clears> so we're looking at about roughly, looks like about 23,000 people have logged it on Letterboxd. Mm. Uh, 47 fans. So 47 have hit the like button. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of them. I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll, I'll go in. I'll go in there. I never I never put the ratings out until uh, until the episode comes out. I'll, uh, I'll give it a like. Nice. <laughs> I just found that funny. I'm like... 47's low for a movie that has this many ratings on it, but with like that many <laughs> that many threes, I'm like, it's probably actually not that surprising. Who framed Roger Rabbit is out, right? I can put my rating on it. Yeah, there. came out on Monday. Okay, yep. well, I'm going to do that. Uh, speaking of... What's going on? I just want to... Oh, where are we here? Frame Roger Rabbit. I just want to see it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're going to the bar graph of it as well. Well, I wanted bar. So, 47 likes for draft day. Uh, Who framed Roger Rabbit? 2.6 thousand. Okay, 2.6 thousand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quite quite a significant amount more. Yeah. 47. And I'm People one don't of really them. use the like feature on Letterboxd, eh? Yeah, I've I've started. I've kind of using. I kind of use the like button. I'm like. This is something that I'm going to rewatch consistently. Mm. I've used I've been using the like button for that. That's just in my on my head. I'm not consistent with it. If I think of it, I'm like, this is something I'm going to watch consistently. Like it. Yeah, or interesting. I like like I don't give it to all my fives. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like I know that you're the exception to this, but like the average person might give Schindler's List a five and not like it, like not give it a little heart by yeah. that system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know that you would rewatch that, but. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, Sam, what's next week? Next week, I believe, unless things change, it's going to be the final installment of a series we've been working on for years. Yeah. For years. Years. That is uh, our, our annual Star Wars Day episode. Yep. We have but one film left to go. Yeah. We, tr- we made our merry way through the original trilogy. Yeah. We trudged through the prequels. And we endured the roller coaster ride that was the the sequels. We even went to the theater for Solo. There is but one film we haven't tackled. That's Rogue One. Yeah. Very excited for what's going on next. I week. know. And the funny thing is, when we get close to watching a movie that we have that we have scheduled, mm-hmm. like about two or three weeks out, I get the itch to watch it. I'm like, I want to watch it. I want to watch it. I'm like, but I can't. I'm like, I gotta fucking review it. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited. I. Th- I've seen this movie at least twice, possibly three times, but I'm almost positive I don't have it logged, so that means I haven't watched it in three or four years. I'm confident that I have... uh, I'm confident that I've seen it exactly twice. I watched it in theaters and then revisited it once. Oh, I have logged it. Yep. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I know that you and I, that's one that you and I have talked uh, about off air a bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know I I think we kind of know each other's opinion on the film already. Yeah. I'll uh, refrain from going into it here. I'll save it all for next week. But I think there will be some some fun conversation. I think so as well. Should we? Uh, never mind. <laughs>
Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast. allows more people to find us. You can also give us a rating on Spotify, which we would greatly appreciate. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can uh, email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd. If you are a movie fan and you're not on Letterboxd, you are doing yourself a disservice. I cannot heap enough praise. They pay us no money for this. But I don't care. I love we that. We pay them. We're, yeah. we're, we're paid subscribers. We are. We are Patreons <laughs> of them. I, I am. No, we're not Patreons. We're. What are we? Pro members? Pro, I really pro don't members. know. Yeah, yeah something like that. Pro members. Yeah, not Patreons. Um, honestly, if you like movies and you're not on Letterboxd, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, for the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Can we talk about movies? We can always talk about movies. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!